As we come now before the very word of God, if you'd like to read with me, we'll be again in the first letter of John. So 1 John in chapter 1. You'll recognize some of these verses if you've been here with us in these past weeks, uh, but we'll finally finish out this chapter, I think, uh, this week. So, But before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord, you've, you've told us that, that all the words of Scripture were written for our instruction, that through the endurance and the encouragement of these words, we might have hope. So, Lord, we ask that you would grant that hope to us now by your holy word. By your Holy Spirit, would you help us to listen and to submit ourselves fully to these things. Your word is good, and we trust it. Guide us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is 1 John in chapter 1. One, I'll begin in verse 7 and then read just a few verses here to the end of the chapter. So 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of God. Now, from this text today, we want to address a very important Christian practice, which is the practice of confession. That'll be our focus today. We'll be looking at confession. So just as a reminder of a few things around here, we know John has has sent out this letter widely to Christians to testify to Christ. That is, he's telling them who Jesus is, that he's the eternal life who is made manifest as true, true man, but not only who Jesus is, but also what Jesus does. That Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners. But in order for for Jesus to save us from our sin, we have to acknowledge that there is sin in us that needs saving. And so last week, we pushed on that idea as we heard some very bad news about lying about our sin. That if we say we have no sin, if we say we are better than we are and we don't really need to be saved, then we walk in darkness, we deceive ourselves, and God's word is not in us. That's bad news. This week, we get to hear the opposite the good news of confessing our sin. Confession is a good gift of God. 
And so as we dive into this topic of confession, we're going to ask four questions about it, four simple questions about confession, which are what, who, how, and why. What, who, how, why. We'll explore those one at a time. Let's look at the first of these. What is it? What is confession? Confession's not a word that's unique just to Christian circles. Culturally, we hear the word confession used uh, as well. Usually, it's used uh, in reference to sin, which is not always called sin in the culture, but some admission of wrong. So, So if you're to listen to the Usher album, the old music album called Confessions, uh, it's, a, it's a bunch of songs about uh, infidelity and confessions around that. Uh, if you're to, to watch movies, sometimes it has the word confession in the title, you know, confession of a teenage drama queen or confessions of a, of a shopaholic. I've not seen those, but I'm sure there's some confession in there. Uh, or, or if you walk by the magazine stand uh, in, in the checkout aisle and you see the word confessions, on the magazine uh, title, that probably means someone in there is going to spill the tea, uh, which is a word that the kids use that I don't fully understand, but it, I think it means there's some juicy gossip that's going to be uncovered in some way. That's what uh, confession culturally is. But in God's word, confession is not always about sin. It can be. But most of the time in Scripture, confession is not about sin. In fact, the original word for for confession literally means to together speak. To together speak, that is, to say the same thing as another, or to agree with, to concur. And so most of the time in the Bible... Uh, the, the, the thing that a person is confessing or concurring with is some particular theological truth. And that might sound like it's very technical and scholarly, but it's really, really not. We even hear John use the word this way in the rest of his letter in chapter 4. Uh, let me find it. In, uh, verse 2, he says, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that doesn't confess Jesus is not from God. And then he says later in verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. So what's confessing there, what we're confessing is a particular truth. We're probably already familiar with that idea of confessing truth in the Scripture. So in Philippians, you probably know this verse, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess, what? Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Or we hear in Romans that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Even in things adjacent to the Bible, so when we use the Westminster Confession of Faith, as we did today, we're not confessing sin by affirming that. We're not admitting our sin. We're we're confessing doctrinal beliefs from the Bible. So whenever we confess these sorts of things, we are together speaking truth with God. To confess is to come into alignment with God. To say, yes, I affirm that's true too. 
I affirm Jesus has come in the flesh. I affirm Jesus is the Son of God. I affirm Jesus Christ is Lord. All of those confessions are important. They're good. They're frequent in the Bible. But this particular confession that John has in mind here in the open of his letter is more like what we often think about confession. That is, it's a confession of sin. It's a together speak about sin. So whatever God says is true about our sin, then to confess is to agree with him in that. Which means that confession of sin is not just giving some sort of itemized list of our sins, like I'm giving a report to my boss. Nor is it just airing out my dirty laundry so that I'll feel better and not feel so bad about these things. To confess sin is to affirm the truth about that sin. Which means we're to say things like, this sin is wicked. This sin is against God. This sin that I've done or thought I have willfully chosen to do even for the things that, I, that feel like I haven't chosen them, that are part of my nature, they're just part of me, even some of those things are still against God. And, and, and I need help. I need Jesus. I can't hide it. I can't solve it. I cannot surrender it on my own. I need, desperately need, forgiveness and cleansing of all my unrighteousness. Confession then speaks the truth about those sins, however inconvenient or bitter that truth may be. That's what confession is. It's a together speaking about the sin. Now, question two. Who? If by that question we mean who needs to confess, that's a simple answer. You. Me, all of us, everybody. Everyone except Jesus has sinned dramatically and fallen short of the glory of God. So, uh, so if that's the question, that's an easy answer. But by who? Well, I mean to ask, to whom do we confess? Which is to say, who needs to hear the confessions that we speak? And John, here in his letter, doesn't make this explicit. He doesn't outline it especially. He says that Jesus is the one that forgives the sins, so we assume at least Jesus needs to hear those confessions. But is God the only one to whom we confess? No. Confession is in the context of fellowship. Fellowship with God, but also fellowship with each other. Which means other people need to hear our confessions. Now there are some groups who would say that you have to confess your sins to a priest. The scripture never commands that. 
there are certain problems with that particular practice, especially in what those groups call absolution of sin. Uh, we don't have to talk about that because we're not going to get into it, okay? A priest is not strictly necessary for confession. Though if you want to confess your sins to, well, you don't have a priest, but, but to some sort of spiritual leader, you may. You know, at times that may be a wise thing to do. Confession to a spiritual leader might help you better wrestle with that sin in a way that is holy and honors God. And, and I want you to know that if you ever feel the need to come to me with a confession of sin... I will do my best to listen to you, to be honest and gentle with you about that sin, and to represent well the mind of Jesus in giving grace to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. I will do my best. But the main person that the scripture calls us to confess sin to is not a pastor or a priest. Instead, we're called to confess our sins to each other. How's that for inconvenient? That's the way James puts it. In James chapter 5, verse 16, he writes, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. We're to confess to each other. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you may know that name, famous around the World War, World War II era, wrote about this um, in a very famous book called Life Together. In this book, he says, if you never confess your sins to another person, to another human being, then it's likely that you're just deceiving yourself. If you only confess to God, you're probably just trying to grant yourself forgiveness, and that's a foolish thing, he says. So then he writes these words. He says, Our brother breaks the circle of self-deception. A man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. And he experiences the presence of God and the reality of the other person. As long as I'm by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has to be brought into the light. And since the sin must come to light sometime, it's better that it happens today between me and my brother rather than on the last day in the piercing light of the final judgment. It's a good thing to confess to each other, to break that self-deception of sin. And as freeing... And good as that can be to confess to a brother, it's also difficult. Because often the main person who needs to hear our confessions is not just a person we trust, but it's the person we hurt. That's part of what it means to actually confess and seek forgiveness. 
So if I have an outburst of anger and yell at a person, I need to confess to that person my sin. If I'm a married person and I have sexual sin, I need to confess that sin to my spouse. If I've stolen something, I don't just quietly go to my pastor about it. I need to go to the one whom I have robbed. All sin, every single sin, is a sin against God. So God needs to hear every confession. But many sins are also against particular people. And so they need to hear those confessions too. That's our who question. Now we come to the third. How? If we know what it is and to whom we're to do it, how do we do it? What's the way in which we are to confess our sin? We get some guidance uh, from Jesus in this on the Sermon on the Mount um, in Matthew chapter, is it five? Yes, chapter five, verse 23. We'll, we'll draw a few things out of this, but let me read the few verses uh, first. Matthew chapter five, verse 23. Jesus says, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there you remember that your brother has something against you. You leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. So we can draw a few things from this about how to confess. First we should confess specifically. You know, the person who's brought this thing is remembering a particular offense that's been unaddressed. And that person needs to confess that sin. He's not going to someone else and saying, hey, look, I'm sorry, all people have fallen short of the glory of God. I'm just like all the rest of sinners, all mankind. No, no, that person needs to say, hey, I was impatient with you. Hey, I was stubborn with you. Hey, I said these specific words to you. That was my sin. I have no excuse for that. I was wrong. Will you forgive me for that? That's why John's told us in his letter that if you confess your sins, plural, he's not just talking about the idea of sin, he means specific sins. We need to learn to identify, to name, and then to confess our sins specifically. So it's specific, but we also need to do it immediately. So in the context that Jesus is giving us, this person's coming to bring their gift to the altar. They're in the middle of this act of worship, but they get interrupted, I suppose. And so now they have to leave that gift and go and confess first. To reconcile the thing that was broken by the sin takes priority over giving the gift of the offering. It's to do it immediately. That makes a lot of sense in other contexts. You know, if you realize that you're sitting in a bathtub of water that is, let's call it, soiled. If I'm sitting in a bathtub of soiled water, I'm not going to be content to sit there and stew in it. I'm going to get out 
and pull that plug as soon as I can. So why on earth would I wait to confess my sin, which is far worse than a tub of soiled water? We need to confess as soon as we recognize it, as soon as we can. We don't let it soak. Don't wait until Sunday. Do it now, immediately. Because the longer you linger, the sharper the stinger. We confess specifically, we confess immediately, but we also want to confess disruptively. By which I mean this. We know the nature of sin is to disrupt the good that God has given us. Sin disrupts good. We know that. But by our confessions, we then want to disrupt the disruption. We want to put a stop to that, which means that our words of confession need to accompany action. That's why we hear in the Proverbs that the one who confesses and forsakes sin will receive mercy. If we're missing that forsaking of sin, then it's not real confession. You know, a confession without repentance, that's just empty words. And if you do it, it will harden your heart. But if you confess in a way that really seeks to carry out restoration, even if you fail and you have to do it again, and you fail and you have to do it again, if you really seek to confess and change the action, that will soften your heart. And it opens the door to a place of real hope and rest. Now, this brings us to our fourth and final question. Why? Why confess? You know, confession is hard. It would be easier to just skip it, wouldn't it? Sin's often embarrassing. Confession is scary. Brings anxiety. It might even come with certain forms of lasting consequences. So, so why would I do it? Because it's worth it. Confession is worth it. The benefit so far outweighs the cost. Confession brings great honor to God. That's its greatest good. It honors God, and that by itself is a, is a delight. Confession also for us frees us, which is good as well. Confession begins to kill the things that are killing us. We know that sin is deadly and damnable and draws the righteous wrath of God upon us. 
Sin is the enemy so fierce and powerful and subtle that we cannot rescue ourselves from it. We have to turn to Jesus as our real Lord and Savior. And we know that if we belong to Jesus, once we belong to Jesus, he has taken all the guilt of our sin once and for all. All of the wrath that is deserved for our sin, he takes upon himself because he is faithful and just to forgive his people and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know that's true. And in that sense, a Christian, remember, is forever, forever forgiven and cleansed and secure. Don't forget that. What Jesus has done for you as a Christian can never, never be undone. And at the same time, even though a Christian is never condemned for sin, we still need and want ongoing confession of our sin. Not because we need to be saved again. Jesus already did that. But because we need to be restored again to be reconciled again, to be renewed again. That's why James says, you confess your sins so that you may be healed. Don't you want that? Sin breaks fellowship, but confession mends that fellowship back. We confess our sins to restore that good relationship with God and with each other. Let me end by telling a a parable of confession. Since today's Mother's Day, I'll set it in the form of, of that. There was a mother who loved her daughter with all her heart. She wanted everything that was the best for her daughter. She gave her everything she needed. She taught her to struggle well and all the good ways of life. And the mother and daughter were very close and very happy And even though the mother made many, many mistakes, like any mom does, people would see her and look at their relationship, and they would call her a good mom, and she was. It was true. But as her daughter grew and grew more independent, the mother started to resent the fact that the daughter needed her less. And so the mother quietly grew envious. She would sometimes say degrading things or subtly use guilt to try to manipulate her daughter. And the mother convinced herself that the daughter needed this thing for discipline, that saying these things were for her own good, and that was only partly true. 
because whatever good was in there was also mixed with the bad, and the mother did not acknowledge or admit her own sin. And so their sins then grew under cover of darkness. The daughter responded with sin, being provoked to anger and lashing out in meanness. And as as the mother and daughter each quietly blamed one another in their hearts, their their frequent fighting gave way to just separate silence. And as they both grew older, they grew further apart. The daughter married and had kids of her own. And the mother, now a grandmother, would visit, and those visits were polite. But both were sad about the yawning distance that developed between them, and and no one really spoke what was happening. Until, one day, the mother sat with the word of God open on her lap. And that mother read the scripture's call to confession. And the Spirit of God struck her heart with the conviction of her specific sins against her child. And that woman got on her knees and prayed to God that God would forgive her and cleanse her and strengthen her, and he did. And then that mother and the strength of God got in her car and she drove five hours to visit her adult daughter. She stood on the porch and knocked on the door. And when the daughter opened the door, she didn't even pause to come in. The mother just began to pour out her confessions of her own selfishness and envy. And as the daughter was surprised, struck by these things, her heart softened. And she began to speak the same, to confess her own bitterness and pride, and the two of them collapsed into one another, hugged, wept. And as sin finally was disrupted between them, they began to heal. This It's the work of God. A God who is faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us, and to restore us if we will only confess. Pray with me. Oh, Lord, would you help us to lean into confession that we would speak the truth of our sin together with you, to do so humbly and courageously. Help us to see the great gift as this is, that confession is a weapon against sin, You are a good and gracious God, and we give you praise for it. This we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.